You're listening to IDFS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Janak. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 4 of IDFS Radio. During our third episode, we got to spend time with Ben Davenport, recently named as one of Virginia's most influential businessmen from Virginia Business Magazine. Search IDFS Radio on SoundCloud or through the iTunes podcast store to hear all of our previous episodes and new episodes as they come out. Before we begin today's show, the IDFS team wants to give a very sincere thank you to everyone that came together to make our third business pitch competition a huge success. The Institute for Advanced Learning and Research ensured Event Day Logistics went off without a hitch, in addition to providing their first-class conference room services. Volunteers and audience members gave their time during the workday to share enthusiasm and greet out-of-town guests, many of which were seeing Daniel for the first time. Most importantly, we couldn't make it happen without our five judges representing different geographic areas from Virginia and North Carolina and our almost 70 applicants from 12 different states to keep the competition lively and innovative. To recap all the action from IDFS and check out videos from the event day, check in at idfsdamble.com or like us on our Facebook page. Our guests today are quite familiar to anyone who enjoys a craft beer in Danville, Virginia. Ethan and Julie Brown both work by day and sling craft beers and their family farm produced wine by night, while their son Alex gets creative coming out with the next limited edition brew. Let's get this interview started with Julie, Ethan, and Alex Brown. Well, we are in the home of all things brewing here in Danville, Virginia. We're with Julie and Ethan Brown and their son, Alex. And um, we're, we're at 209 Trade Street in Danville, Virginia. We're at Two Wishes Winery and Brewery, recording live this evening. And Julie is coming to us. She works full-time with the Institute for Advanced Learning and Research as their director for advanced learning. All right, as the director for advanced learning, and you've got all sorts of experience in workforce development and training, and so I'm sure keeping these knuckleheads in line, that, uh, that, that history has come into play. But then we also have our head brewers, Ethan Brown and Alex, who is currently at Piedmont Community College? Uh, Rockingham. Rockingham Community mm-hmm. College, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So he's at RCC, and Ethan is also bringing his background in chemistry to, to, the, to the brewing area, and is also currently teaching at Tunstall High School. That's correct. Thank you guys for joining us this evening. Thanks, Jeff. Thank Did I leave anything out about your bios or your history that would be relevant to the conversation or relevant to, to how we all ended up here at the brewery? We're asking ourselves how we ended up here at the brewery, so <laughs> I think you've covered it. Well, very cool. We'll jump right into it. When did you guys open up? Our official opening day was May of 2014. Very good. So you guys have been here for almost two years, rocking and rolling. That's correct. We started our winery operation in the fall of 2013 when we received our farm winery license, which was our first license that we received. Mm -hmm. The brewery license came February 2014. So we were able, because of the harvest, uh, for grapes, mm-hmm. August September time frame, uh, we needed to have our winery permit active so we could go ahead and get started with the fermentations. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, how long had this idea been swirling around before it finally came to fruition in late 2013, early 2014? 
I would say 2009 when we planted our first grapevine. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Because we knew eventually um, uh, Julie's father and mother uh, uh, started the vineyard, Two Witches Vineyard, in uh, 2009. Uh, it's located off of Gap Road in Chatham, uh, really the Callens area of Pennsylvania County. Um, and they had aspirations of, run, of running a vineyard and uh, we initially started off with one acre of Tramonette and one acre of Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, thinking that we would maybe pitch in as a hobby type of vineyard but very soon realized that you have to make wine from the grapes you grow. Uh, our first lesson uh, was learned the hard way. Our first harvest was in 2011. Um, we had arrangement with a, another Virginia winery, which was unfortunate. Uh, they were not able to take the wine or take the grapes that we had harvested that day. Uh, so we started a very quick home winemaking operation. <laughs> you can only make so much jam and jelly. <laughs> so. um, which we did that year, and we realized that uh, the relationship between a vineyard and a winery is an intimate one. And uh, without a hard ironclad contract, uh, for the sale of grapes, you're going to have to make your own wine. Uh, so the, the idea really, I guess, started budding out that we were going to have to do something was in 2011. Then we took that trip to Asheville. Right. Um, so we went to Asheville and we were just visiting breweries. We went to saw a couple places that were these urban wineries. And so I think that's the first time we started thinking, well, if we set up the you know, typically these um, you know wineries are out in the middle of nowhere. You have to drive a long way. So the idea of an urban winery, so actually putting a winemaking process where people are, mm -hmm. so they don't have to drive for 45 minutes, um, intrigued us. And then just again, we were brewery hopping, so we just said, "Hmm, I wonder if you could do the wine and the beer together." Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I think the idea kind of started to, to see if we could put them both together because the Ethan can speak more of the science and Alex as well but you know fermentation's fermentation so the science behind both the wine making and the beer making is similar each is an art we've learned it's art not just science right. um, <laughs> but so it's been a while and the stars continue to align because in 2012 the Virginia General Assembly uh, passed uh, new regulations concerning breweries, allowing breweries to operate without um, requiring a food sales. Okay, uh, that's, so, yeah, that's definitely has so some questions about that as well. Initially, brewing was not uh, in the scope. Uh, again, we started with the winery operation, uh, but with the uh, with the new regulation, uh, that opened up the door for the possibility of a brewery because they were. Uh, as Julie mentioned, our trip to Asheville uh, kind of opened her eyes and how craft beer was really, really starting to take off. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, with Virginia opening that door, um, we we saw it as an opportunity. And as she mentioned, uh, fermentation is fermentation on a basic level. Uh, we said, why not try to combine the two operations? Very cool. Very cool. Now. You all, correct me if I'm wrong, y'all were the first winery and brewery under under one roof, is that right? In Danville or in Virginia? Correct, correct. So Corcoran, I think they're up in Loudoun County, they're in northern Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, they're on a farm, but it's in two separate barns or gotcha. areas, so it's not under one roof. So we mm -hmm. were the first one under one roof, and we did have to get the ABC to kind of 
uh, rethink some of their restrictions because when we first approached them with the idea of combining the winery with the brewery, they told us that we were going to have to separate the hospitality area. So let's say Jeff wanted to have a beer and Lauren, who he's brought to Two Witches, wanted to have a glass of wine. You'd have to be on two separate sides of the table. <laughs> so people drinking beer, we're going to have to be on one side. People drinking wine, we're going to have to be on the other side. It's like the Mason-Dixon line. You can't you know, cross that. Uh, but then they came back and said they would allow us to share the tasting room or hospitality space. Um, we do have to have some type of partition between the winery operation and the brewing, you know, because a keg or a barrel could roll from one to the other and we might not know the difference. And, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, they want to have a clean record of what to tax, how much to tax, mm -hmm. and so there does need to be some separation between the two. Mm -hmm. But they did come back and tell us we could share the hospitality and even share some equipment between the two operations. So. Now, oh, I, I guess what are kind of some of the more specific things that you had to go through? Was it, I mean, was there double permitting for both wine and, and beer or at, for, you know, for similar type issues? Or could you talk a little bit more about kind of specifically what you had to go through? The process all started with the federal, at the federal level. Mm -hmm. So you have to apply for a brewer's notice um, from the federal government, from the TTB. And then we also were simultaneously um, applying for our farm winery license and um, we did get a little bit of, of uh, well we received questions from the government they noticed there's one address with two permits two different types of licenses they were see we were seeking so we did initially say they did pick up on that <laughs> so they were and then they couldn't slip that one by them so they <laughs> they did uh, want to see as Julie mentioned, they did want to see some sort of separation between the two, two operations. But at the federal level, um, a picture that we had put, we had put a wall of basically of our, uh, of our uh, crates, the crates oh, yeah. between the two sides. And this was when we were undergoing renovations. There was no equipment. A picture showing that division was uh, sufficient for the federal government, which was, we were very pleased with. Um, the state uh the state was the state actually was very smart so they said don't come to us until you've completed all your ttb your federal applications once you've gotten your approvals to start brewing and start making wine then come talk to us because we know that if you've passed the, the federal governments you've already done background checks and all those things that, that need to go through the process so the state says i'm not going to do this a second time we'll let the federal government do it which mm -hmm. is smart uh, but when it got to the state level as julie mentioned they really had an issue with um two licenses on the same premise. They had not had that case. And it really came down to a question of enforcement. Okay, so she gave the example of you guys having some wine and beer. Okay, Lauren, say you were underage drinking wine. You're of age, Jeff's of age drinking beer. Whose permit does the fine go against, the winery or the brewery? Uh, that was the sort of a philosophical debate so that they were having. Proposing some hypothetical situations that they hadn't necessarily. Well, they like they they were they were looking at things very black and white. It's like that you're either on a winery permit or pr premise, or you're on a brewery premise. Well, Julie came up with a very elegant solution. She said, "Well, both are our responsibility. Find both uh, permits equally." And they thought they scratched their head for a minute and they said. Are you okay with that? And we said, well, sure, it's our responsibility. 
And they said, well, that cleared it up for them. So after that, it was smooth sailing. Mm -hmm. I think they were worried that we would be setting a precedent mm -hmm. for future things because we were kind of breaking the ground here. Mm -hmm. They were worried that we would set a precedent that, say, future operations wouldn't agree to or they would have some backlash to. But uh, I don't think that's the case. And that's the, the permitting side. So, I mean, we're in a regulated business. So in addition to the permits because we're selling alcohol, we still had to go through all the typical start business startups. Are we going to be an LLC? Are we going to be, you know, um, what's going to be our business structure and, you know, applying for the SEC and doing business as and all of those things. We had to add, go through all that. So All the paperwork that on top of just the regulatory. Correct. Mm -hmm. And then we did hit a snag. Uh, when we started submitting our labels for approval, so each of our beers and wine has to have a label approved by the federal and state. Um, well, our logo, our company name is Two Witches Winery and Brewing Company. Well, we started submitting our beer labels with that logo and they kept saying, you're misleading, it's a misleading, They're no, they wouldn't approve our labels. And we could not see why until we finally got on the phone with them and they explained, you, you have the word winery on a beer label. So, at that point, we realized, <laughs> this needs to change. So, as Julie mentioned, we had to go legally separate, create two new companies, Two Witches Brewing Company and okay, Two Witches Winery, that. okay? And then we say, we're associated with Two Witches Winery and Brewing Company, but we had to have the co an official but company name says, yeah. on the label that didn't have each other's name on it. So, I couldn't have a brewery. Uh, word on a wine label. I can't have a winery word on a brewery or beer label. So we had to legally separate and then we kind of went through that and and uh, that was a learning experience for us as well. Uh, so, Alright, now obviously kind of, we've talked a little bit, a bit about the regulatory side. What were just kind of some of the general obstacles that y'all had to kind of claw through and overcome to to make this all come to fruition. I mean, this is quite the undertaking. Well, as um, this, we had never, as private individuals, we had never built a house. We had always purchased other houses. This is our first exposure with, uh, you know, working with contractors, kind of seeing how that whole operation works. Um, it was a good experience. It was just, we didn't know a lot. So uh, there were a lot of questions. Um, we also, uh, we are 100% uh, um, self-financed, self-financed, uh, along with the bank, so American National Bank. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but we don't have any investors, uh, so that meant we put a lot of sweat equity into this place. So um, we all now know more about electricity, plumbing, uh, flooring, roofing than we ever knew before. More than we care to know. <laughs> um, so uh, we've 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 uh, we've learned we've grown as uh, individuals, and I think we've really benefited knowing what to do and what not to do. But you can see why people that have investors pay somebody else that knows what they're doing to, oh, to yeah. do this. It's you know. <laughs> Yeah. If you've got the funding, pay somebody that knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, we did work with a contractor that was familiar with the city, um, you know, requirements and had good relationships there. So, you know, again, that's very helpful. I would say even the um, some of the procedures with the city as far as 
special permits. Um, they had to change some of their codes or wording around manufacturing and brewer, you know, breweries. Mm -hmm. um, so they had to do some research across the state to see what other localities had in their zoning and coding requirements. So we've made several trips in front of the uh, Planning and Zoning Commission mm -hmm. around a few things. but Because of us, Danville had to define what a microbrewery was for the code of Danville. That, that's kind of what I was going to ask is what was it like working with the city, um, especially since they had never... Like you said, even from just like a terminology standpoint, they had never licensed anything like this or really, you guys were... There were a lot of questions um, <laughs> <laughs> on their end. I mean, they were, they were genuinely interested in knowing how the operation was going to work, how we were going to heat things, how we were going to, con you know, uh, uh, exits. Of course, the, with every building renovation, they're concerned about the, the basics, you know, exits, capacities and things mm -hmm. like that. But, uh, when we got into the electrical and plumbing, they were really concerned on how how we were. Uh, they were not only considered about the uh, concerned about our safety, but they were concerned about how well this operation was going to going to work because they they were genuinely interested in seeing it succeed. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were they were helping us uh, work through uh, you know sizing of our plumbing and not only just like I said working to code, but trying to help us um, make a better operation. Right, right. So I mean, they were very it was very helpful. The IDFS team has had a lot of fun putting these episodes on, and we thank our guests and everyone that has taken the time to tune in and hear what they have to say. You can see a show summary and key takeaways from each interview on idfsdamble.com slash podcast. We'd like to give a big shout out to the River District Listener team for helping to produce each episode. Visit riverdistrictlistener.com to learn how these guys can help you put on your own podcast with turnkey equipment and editing services. Aspects. As far as equipment, what what was kind of the? I, I assume I, I'll get some things off the bat. Uh, different equipment for for the brewing versus the wine for the winemaking. There are um, so uh, winemaking actually. Um, I may be chastised for this. Is a is a is a little. More simpler process. Say, don't say easier. It, it's not easier, right? Um, in that, there's the not the timeliness. Uh, wine takes time to, to process. Uh, the equipment for the fermentation is not as uh, sophisticated. Uh, we did start very small. We with, with the winery equipment, we started off with manual presses, which were very inexpensive. But humongous so you labor. Off your shoes and socks, and you get to start stepping around. It was it was intense. That was, was only that first batch. <laughs> right. It was a, it's an intensive process. Uh, fortunately, it's only two or three days out of the year. Mm -hmm. But uh, for our aging bodies, um, quite quite laborious. <laughs> so we started off with all manual things: a manual pressure distemmer, uh, a manual press, all of which took. Uh, huge amounts of time and energy to process so uh, the tanks themselves they're, they're simple uh, stainless steel tanks um, we didn't have uh, the proper chilling equipment for the first few years uh, so uh, we had some temperature control issues which we these are the kind of things we learned mm -hmm. uh, we have since uh, since invested in uh, proper chilling equipment 
And uh, one of the first investments when uh, we dipped into our 401k uh, was a automated crusher to stemmer because mm -hmm. uh, we were all thankful for that. And then a larger press to handle uh, the wine side of things. Uh, so all of these things were happening at the same time. Then we were charting with our brewery operation and uh, the brewery operation we started off with individual components. Uh, we sort of made a homemade brew system uh, because that was the most affordable avenue at the time. It was a one barrel system uh, from Stout Tanks and Kettles. They're out of Portland. They have very nice uh, uh, we uh, the one barrel system was a very nice starting point we felt uh, we didn't want to jump into it with a huge investment uh, but again we kind of piecemealed everything together and uh, it worked out well we as we brew every time we brew we found a new way to do things a, a better way to do things a new piece of equipment we needed <laughs> so we just kept adding on slowly um, until we got in where we are now um, how, I guess how quickly did you realize that, it, that you were going to have to, that the investment was never really going to stop, that there would always be kind of the next piece of equipment or a bigger tank or, or a, a new this or a new that? Well, so in a brewery, something always fails. So one day it could be your glycol chiller, one day it could be your mash pump, it could be a number of cellar equipment. So you're always having to spend money and that's, that's the unfortunate thing on, on something like we do is you're going to need something to replace something else. Right. Um, and um, I think maybe a question you're going to ask later is as far as expansions. As a brewery, if you don't grow, you, you kind of die a little mm -hmm. bit. Because you know, otherwise, you just, you're, you're stuck in the normal routine. And a brewery is basically what we call in the industry is just a big snowball. So if something fails, like we can't keg one day. Like, okay, that means we can't rack anything over into a tank. Okay, that makes that means we can't brew. So then you're, you're then you're just waiting to brew, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. you're brewing maybe once a month, and you can't have that. Mm -hmm. So for our for our um, for our sakes, our new our new equipment, which is a three and a half barrel brewing system, um, what I'm finding um, in our production schedule is that we need more storage space. Not necessarily we need to make more um, wort for yeast to chew on. And, make mm -hmm. precious beer, mm -hmm. um, but we need um, storage space. Right. So that means new fermentation vessels, new bright ser uh, serving tanks, uh, coolers. So ke keeping everything cool, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so that's probably our future, is not expanding our production of the wort, but in, um, in just expanding our fermentation areas. Gotcha, gotcha. <clears throat> um, so, just kind of, this is just a, kind of a general question. You 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 make one maximum capacity batch. A, a batch as big as it makes. Um, how many gallons is that, or or how, how many kegs does that make? So a bar so a barrel is thirty one gallons. Our three we have a three and a half, so that's one hundred and eight gallons of okay. yield. Um, that will make. Um, yeah, um, I don't know. That's six and a half. Um, well, six half barrel kegs and then one uh, two quarters. So more or less one. Right, right. To give it some perspective, when we were uh, with our one barrel system, okay. So you you asked the question: When did we know we had to expand? 
opening day. <laughs> uh, right. We had brewed our hearts out. We thought we were stocked, mm -hmm. and then we opened, and Danville nearly drank us out of inventory. And uh, although brew, you can beer have a batch ready in about four weeks. Uh, it doesn't turn that quickly. Uh, so we realized, oh dear, uh, we're we're a bit, we're a bit, <laughs> no, we haven't shut down for a couple of weeks. We were about, to be open. And what's what's interesting is we read these uh, craft beer articles of other small breweries who started off with one barrel systems. That is not uncommon. Uh, there are breweries that have had to start up and then shut down <laughs> to to read. So mm -hmm. the one barrel system, although was a nice intro system, it was just way too small. So uh, we found ourselves brewing constantly, uh, and with the manual system, we would spend a good solid still eight hours brewing one 30-gallon batch, and we found very quickly that we would uh, need to grow incrementally, so we bought some, uh, some three-barrel fermenters, thinking that we could do a double batch, which adds another four hours, so you have a 12-hour day, okay, so you're making 60 gallons. Mm -hmm. uh, that helped. Uh, but still was just not enough because we were just constantly brewing. It's like running on a treadmill. You're just not getting anywhere. So uh, we operated with that one barrel system for one year. And in May of 2015, uh, we invested the other half of the 401k <laughs> in a uh, professionally designed, engineered uh, brew system uh, awesome. cool. that we should have probably started off to begin with, um, uh, along with all the proper chilling equipment. Uh, that we needed uh, to make the beers that we wanted to make. And uh, that's when Alex, uh, we recruited Alex back from Natty Greens to help <laughs> us that because that's just too big of an operation. So in now in six hours, we can make 100 gallons versus we were making 60 gallons in 12 hours. So with proper equipment, um, you really you really can uh, maximize your time. The adage that cash is king, you know, when you're starting it, yep completely true it's about your cash flow for us it's been about managed risk so you know again we may not get there as fast as other people but you know this is our retirement money this is our you know this is our future sitting here on 209 Trading Street so it's been about you know what's the next step are we making a product that people like what beer you know what are the beers that are popular and then Again, kind of just that managed risk. Where's the next investment? So you're always thinking about, okay, what's the next growth proposition? Mm -hmm. What's the next thing, you know, that we would do? Uh, Seems like everything I'm re reading about, all the podcasts I listen to, they're all talking about incrementalism. You, you take on what you can handle, and you and you get good at it, and you get real good at it. Right. And you take on a little bit more, you get really good at it, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, before you know you've grown something don't know where it all started from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Well, we go to some of the larger, you know, breweries in North Carolina, Virginia, and we drool, and but you know, we're not five million dollars in debt. Um, right. And again, it's seeing how the community is going to respond. Danville's been great. I mean, um, we've gotten such positive feedback. We we have a product that people like. We have an environment, you know, a place where people want to come. Um, so again, it's just kind of managing that, managing expectations. Mm -hmm. I mean, our goal is to build something, you know, for the future. Um, I, I think, you know, we've looked around, Ethan and I've looked around, and, you know, the idea of owning something that you can take full responsibility for, the good and the bad, um, not have to answer or be dependent on somebody else 
for your future to kind of in some ways own that destiny mm -hmm. again whether it's good bad um, we kind of see that as a gift to give to our children you know we've got one kind of hooked in a little bit we'll see you know where that goes um, we want Alex to you know follow his passions too um, you know people you know ask us all the time are you loving it Ooh, we have you know, like every other you know, we have these you know we um, we've loved I mean it's definitely we've gotten to know a segment sometimes Danville seems small because you start operating in the same circles in some ways um, and this has just really broadened our circle uh, you know the the people that we've met um, and it's so funny that people that will see us in different environments so you know whether it's they see me at the Institute it takes them a minute to, <laughs> he's like, yeah I'm the one that serves you that beer on the weekends and, <laughs> uh, to kind of put faces and, and names and things together but um, Family, Ethan. Maybe I don't know if he has the same. He's got the same much. Maybe a different experience for him. Uh, we're we're constantly working. Uh, I equate it to if you you go back to the old uh, farms out west. I mean, every they all had lots of children. Everybody was working. Everybody had a job, and that's kind of how it is here. And we're all working to the common goal. Uh, unfortunately, um, we haven't been able to help with the vineyard side of the operation much. Um, so Julie's mom and dad, Marvin and Karen Jefferson, uh, they get stuck with the real hard work, uh, being out at the vineyard, uh, pruning, mowing, uh, constantly tending to those grapes. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very large part of this operation that goes sight unseen uh, until the harvest season. Right. Uh, we used to be able to help with those things. Uh, we no longer have that luxury of helping with that. We're we're here at the at the brewery operating, and again, uh, we've got something going on all the time now, and it's that's a great thing. There's a lot of talk about the River District in Danville, Virginia, and businesses are popping up down there left and right. Next show, we get to talk with Bobby Carlson of Bobby Carlson Photography, who has recently moved his studio to Main Street above Delano's and Vintages on the Dan. Hear why Bobby wanted to be a part of this thriving community on our next episode of IDFS Radio. Any suggestions for entrepreneurs and business owners that you would like to hear from or learn more about can be sent to idfsdanville at gmail.com. Julie, define entrepreneurship. Ooh, I, there are a lot of ah, definition of entrepreneurship. <laughs> I mean, I think I think about more as an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. So someone that's willing to take risk, uh, someone has an idea that they're passionate about. Um, I think there's some people that would say our brewery or what we're doing is not entrepreneurial because there are other breweries and there are other wineries. But for I would say anybody that's willing to invest their money and their time um, in a community is an entrepreneur. Um, whether they're you know replicating something, tweaking it, because I think you're always going to tweak something for this community or the, the environment that you find yourself in. So that you know ability to kind of look around um, and, and see what service you can provide that's unique and meets a need. Talk to us about I guess some of the kind of ancillary resources that allow all this to happen, and, and whether Danville has done a good job and supplying those things to entrepreneurs? 
Um, I, I think you know we, we got some assistance with our business plan. So I mean that's the, the first one. If you're gonna go after some financing, you gotta have a, a business plan. So the launch place, they were just starting up, so they had some grant funding um, that they were able to assist us with our business plan. Um, some of us, we just don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I think the concept or idea of navigators, whether they're in healthcare or other profession, that, that, that navigator concept, I think could be applied in a lot of different ways. And I would say small business or entrepreneurial startups uh, would be an area where if you had a navigator, if this is something where you're really going to have to start a business from scratch, having someone in the community that could kind of walk you through who you need to, this is what, you know, step one, you need to do this. Step two, you need to do this. Um, would be really, you know, beneficial. I think the resources are here. It's just putting them together in a way that makes life just a lot easier, saves time, saves money, um, would be beneficial. So if we could almost package what we already have into a playbook of sorts, then then Correct. you have a Here's who you need to go see about yeah. this, and here's, you know, somebody you need to go talk to about this, and just kind of a step one, step two, you know, so it is, because it is a very sequential process. Mm -hmm. You know, even we found out with the city with some of the zoning or, you know, some of the other issues, well, how'd you get to me? You should have gone here first before you got to me. It's like, well, I just was told to come here, yeah, you know, again, so, you know, how is this, you know, laid out and that's the unfortunate thing i think we go so far to say the information's out there it's on the internet so you have no excuse for not finding what you need well if you don't know what you don't know how are you supposed to start that process so i think it's just a startup guide and some quick steps and a checklist or you know something like that because yeah the information's out there but if you don't know what you're supposed to look for it, it can be really difficult now, once we're up, up and running, uh, we've had incredible community support. So, put some plugs in here. Riverside Hardware, a nice little stroll down the street. They've got everything I can possibly need to, to get the job done here. I consider them my own little private engineering department. Because I'll come, I'll take something down there. I said, okay, I've got this. How do I fix this? And they'll come up with a solution. And many times it's a very elegant one. Uh, very convenient and cheap. Um, being a brewing wine, we some of the equipment is specialized. So, if we're, unfortunately, not a lot of the brewing and winery uh, winery equipment is something I can source local. Uh, we've got to go uh, out out of state or uh, uh, to get, to get those things. Uh, we do uh, utilize uh, Virginia caps and corks. To we have uh, some small uh, hops that we can't get through our wholesaler. Uh, so we need to go through channels like that to get some of these special hops that we can't get commercially. Um, but uh, our some of our utilities uh, uh, suppliers, Gamewood, came up with a customized uh, internet solution for us uh, because we unfortunately are in sort of a dead zone. <laughs> we can't get cable or fiber or anything right here in this location. Uh, but they came up with a, a customized um, wireless solution for us that serves us perfectly. Perfect. So and they're they're a local local company. So uh, we've had a lot of support within the local business community uh, as well. Uh, we we work very closely with Virginia. I mean, uh, with yes, uh, Vintage by the Dan. 
if we run out of caps, if they run out of caps, we, we run some down there or they run some up here. So we're working very closely with uh, yeah. Saturdays. Like you know, we send people down there. They send people, you know, to see us. So you, you start supporting each other. I mean, once you've started a small business, you, you know, you want to see other people succeed. So I think, you know, the opportunity is bringing together um, entrepreneurs and people of like-minded spirit in supporting each other, whether that means buying their product or seeing, you know, synergistic opportunities where um, you can, you know, work together and all succeed together. Well, the other opportunity in this region is they've now regulated farm breweries. And so I don't know all the regulations around that, but I mean, I think in this part of Virginia, you're going to start to see, you know, a lot of hop operations, some malting operations, uh, because of that locavore, you know, kind of movement. So, you know, again, we've looked for some partners that could supply us with some hops. Um, I think that's an opportunity for our region, too, as these, you know, breweries pop up, is that also has a positive impact on agriculture in this community. What's next for two witches? That was my exact question. Oh. <laughs> we've, got, we've got lots of ideas. Well, go ahead, put it out there. All right, so the, the first obviously is uh, we are anxiously awaiting the completion of the Riverwalk River Trail. Uh, we use some of our crowdfunding that Julie mentioned to do the clearing to the river, and we're trying to maintain that so when they do come by, we want a welcoming entrance uh, from the Riverwalk Trail to, to our establishment. Um, Alex will be completing his uh, his degree program in uh, brewing and fermentation and distillation. Uh, we have uh, taken the steps to uh, uh, to form Two Witches Distilling Company. Uh, we'd like to add a third license to this facility, and if there are ABC agents listening, <laughs> please bear with us. Um, our ABC agent, he's been great to work with, he's out of Roanoke. He did threaten us that if we tried to do something else here, he would cancel everything. <laughs> but uh, we will, regardless of that, we've sort of set the precedent and we hope that uh, the distilling operation will be coming online perhaps in a couple years. Awesome. Uh, we would start off as we have with our beer and wine incrementally, uh, but we did want to offer, uh, we see that as Craft brewing is is still on the upslope. Uh, still tremendous growth there. Uh, still tremendous growth potential with our operation. We are not maximized out, um, but I think you we have to constantly innovate. I think we have to constantly expand and get more get in, uh, more diverse in our offerings. I mean, we we did the wine and the beer. If we we will complete the cycle uh, with a distilling operation um, and. That's one area that we do have the potential to do more local products. So, I mean, for uh, like sor uh, um, sorghum, sorghum is coming in as um, one of the local um, crops. And we'd like to do like, um, we'd like to do a spirit made out of that and like a local sorghum. Cause that, I feel like that would put that kind of local bar movement yeah. in. Um, the wine side of our operation is still so young. We haven't even mm -hmm. touched the you know potential there. We have two acres of, of grapes that just ha we haven't harvested yet. So that will expand variety there. We're still operating under some not say restricted hours, but you know we're a Thursday to Sunday you know operations. So that's a growth opportunity. The distribution we've just started distributing to some local restaurants. 
Um, people ask us all the time, when are you going to start a bottling line or when are you going to can? And um, again, given our size um, and the expense of a bottling line, um, you know, we're looking at something they're they're called the crowler systems. And so, you know, a lot of people come and they fill the glass jug, the growler, which lasts, you know, less than a week. Um, these are cans, so they're called crowlers. So you fill them on demand, but they last four weeks. Cool. So, yeah, so that's probably something that, you know, again, is a managed risk next step so that our beer would last longer and people can take it, you know, places with them. Um, so the distribution is something that we're still kind of figuring that system out with our production and because still a majority of our sales are out of our tap room. So we do not want to get to a point where we're distributing so much that people come to our tap room and we don't have anything you know, to offer them. That's you know really our, our strength, sure. but seeing how much we can distribute. So yeah, we're, we're on tap for several locations in Danville. Uh, and uh, we've, I think we're in South Boston at one, one restaurant. Um, we would like to see that grow uh, again. From a production standpoint, my <laughs> background's in chemical production, I would like to see our equipment busier. Um, idle equipment is, is costly. So uh, we see that as the opportunity to grow our craft, craft beer sales is through our distribution. Um, so there, that's a huge opportunity. Uh, so we'd like to continue that growth. We'd like to innovate with the distillery. Uh, so there's lots of potential. Please come see us. Uh, our hours are Thursdays and Fridays from 5 to 9 p.m. Uh, Saturdays from noon until 9 p.m. and Sundays from 1 to 6. Uh, additional note on Sundays, uh, we do have uh, a local group of musicians uh, that have started, what, about six months ago. They started showing up as sort of just an informal practice session and has grown quite large. And uh, they have there were this past Sunday we had uh, you know, probably six or seven musicians uh, uh, guitars bass drums we had a trumpet a uh, keyboard, a keyboard. <laughs> so we've had uh, uh, Sunday afternoons are turning into quite some a nice place to come and relax listen to some local music um, and uh, just get ready for the week so uh, that's been something that's kind of sporadically popped up on its own. And they welcome any local musicians, so you know they'll bring if somebody's in town or you know mm -hmm. people just join them. So it is kind of they call themselves the Two Witches Jam Band. And so they've started a Facebook page, um, kind of you know to shout out who's showing up and who's bringing what equipment, and so that's been fun. But we're on Facebook. Um, and we're also we have a website so we encourage people to go to our website um, because we have a calendar there so if we're having a special event or if we're going to be closed for something it will be on the events page on our um, on our website Can you give us the URL for that it is two witches two the number two witches winebrew.com well, yeah, thank you guys for spending your evening with us. I know you're working long enough after five as it is, so stick around another hour and give us your time. We definitely appreciate it. We look forward to the outside space. We look forward to the Riverwalk Trail and obviously the, the distillery and the, the can growlers, the crowlers. I've never heard of that before. I'm excited for that. Uh, and yeah. we're excited to be hosting future Idea Fest, Idea Flow opportunities. So we hope that people that have that entrepreneurial spirit, we know you're in our community, come on out, 
share your ideas. I think you'll find there's a network of people ready to support you. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, another episode of IDFS Radio is in the can. Don't forget to come out to Two Witches on Thursday, April 28, 2016, for our final idea flow to round out IDFS season. Come hear a recap of our third IDFS business pitch competition, as well as hear business pitches from the crowd. Visit idfsdanville.com slash 2016-schedule for more information about these casual networking events.